0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It all sounds so simple, Jesus' words in today's Gospel. Now, first of all, I should say it's Pentecost Sunday, and the, the image that we tend to associate with Pentecost and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what? It's a red thing. It's fire, right? It's the flame. It's interesting that the image that Jesus uses in the gospel reading is almost the exact opposite. Rather than fire, we have what? Water. Water. And there's a way of reading, of hearing Jesus' words, where it all sounds so simple. He says, listen, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And that thirst will be quenched once and for all. If you believe in him, that thirst is going to go away and not only that, you in your own heart are going to have rivers of living water that are going to flow out, continually replenishing others, even from yourself. That's the message there, and it's an appealing one. It's an appealing one. It's one that Christians will often glom onto. It's kind of the, you might think of it this way, as the before and after message. Or I like to think of it as like the Rogaine message, right? Remember those ads from Rogaine? Before, you were bald and sad and lonely. But then you use Rogaine, and now you have hair, and you're happy, and people like you, right? There's a way of proclaiming the Christian gospel where it's like, you used to be a, a sad, lonely, dried-up person, but now you believe in Jesus, and all of your problems have been washed away, and now you have those rivers of living water flowing out of your heart continually. You've always got enough strength and energy, and life is good. That's an appealing message, yes? It's one that I like to believe in, and there's certainly some truth to it. But there's also a problem to it. There's a problem with that simplistic message of, okay, yep, just believe in Jesus, and now, ever after, you're not going to thirst anymore, and moreover, you're going to have rivers of living water flowing right out of you all the time. I've got to be honest. There are days, perhaps more often than I care to admit, where I don't feel like I have rivers of living water flowing out of me. There's days where I feel more like I've just got a little bit of a trickle. And it's mixed with sludge, (laughs) not a river of living water. And what's more, my thirsting for God has not gone away, though I believe in him. Still, I'm thirsty. Still, I'm longing for more. And there's some who would say, yeah, you know why that is? It's because you're not a real believer. I was talking with a buddy of mine, John, recently, and, and John now is happily married. He's got a great family, but he was relating to me a number of years back. He was dating this girl, a nice Christian girl, and he's a nice Christian guy. His dad's a pastor. You know, John was actually going into ministry studies at this time. Well, he was dating this girl for a while until finally he met her parents, and, she, and they said to him, John, we're sorry. You're not going to be able to date our daughter anymore. He says, why is that? And they said, because we only let her date Christians. And he's like, I'm a Christian, I'm a a believer, I'm I'm studying for ministry, my dad's a pastor. And like, yeah, but we don't see the gifts of the Spirit in your life. We don't think that you're a real believer. There are some who would say that if your life doesn't evidence this kind of, of extraordinary, even a miraculous change, if we don't see rivers of living water flowing out of your hearts all the time, then perhaps you're a fraud. A fake Christian. Is that the case? I mean, if I have received the Holy Spirit, why don't I sense those rivers of living water always flowing? If I am a true believer, why am I still thirsting? Where are those true headwaters? Now, I want to explore that question further. But in order to do that, we're going to have to take what seems like kind of an inside baseball digression, okay? I promise it's going to have payoff, but you're just going to have to stay with me for a moment. If you need to take a quick nap, I understand, but we'll try to bring it all back together. Now, I want to talk about writing in all caps. You ever do this? You don't do it. But other people do this sometimes, in emails or on social media. And when you write in all caps, that usually means that you're doing what? What? You're you're yelling, right? Like, why are you yelling at me? Use small caps like normal people or no caps at all. Why are you yelling? Well, in the ancient world, they weren't yelling when they used all caps. In fact, for a long time, that was all that they had. All that they had were capital letters so that the manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts that we have of the New Testament, which is written in the Greek language, it's written in all capital letters. You look at it and you're like, why is God yelling at me? It's like, no, this is just all I got at the moment. Not only that, in those ancient Greek manuscripts, they did not have punctuation. They didn't have punctuation. So just imagine one big full page of text, and it's just all capital letters, and it all just runs together, one word after another. You and I would look at that, and our, our eyeballs would just glaze right over. But folks in the ancient world, for those who could read, it was natural. This is just the way that it was. You would read it, and you'd be able to parse out, and, and point of the fact, you're able to, to look at it and kind of see where the natural breaking points are where the words come apart and where the sentences are. Nine times out of ten, it's not ambiguous at all. If you were able to read that, you'd be able to to see clearly, here's where it's going. Now, why do I bring this up? Because every once in a while in those manuscripts, it would be a little bit ambiguous. Where does one sentence end and the next one begin? How should we break this apart? This is the job of, of biblical translators. We've got one of those ambiguous spots in our gospel reading today. When Jesus is speaking and he cries out, what does he say? Now, I want you to open your worship folder to our gospel reading at the bottom of page nine, or at least it was in the large print edition. Go to the bottom of that and see that gospel reading normally, with all of those capital letters and no punctuation, just with context clues, you can see where does one part end and the next part begin. But in this case, in this case, it's a little bit ambiguous. And let me show you how. As we have it in our translation, the one that we read a moment ago, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, that's version A. It's like we're at the optometrist. You know how they do that? Better A, better B. Better A, better B. Alright, there's version A. Now at the bottom, you notice that we put an asterisk there. Look at the bottom of that page. This is version B. And even in our ESV translation, it includes this footnote. Listen to this. It says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And who let him come to me. And whoever believes in me, let him drink. And then it goes on from there. As the scripture has said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, pastor, that's a very tiny difference. Not sure why you're drawing our attention to this. Well, let me tell you why. Because in that first translation, the one that we heard read a moment ago, it suggests that those flowing rivers come out of the believer's heart. Jesus says, you thirst, you come to him and drink, and then you believe in him, and the scripture said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. But there's an alternative translation, which, in fact, I want to submit to you is the right one. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and whoever believes in me, let him drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, at stake here is whose heart are those rivers of living water flowing from? The believer's heart or Jesus' heart? Now, I've taught you so well that when I ask you a question like that, the answer is almost always, yes. (laughs) And we'll get there. But first of all, I want to think on this thought. What would it mean if it was instead flowing out of Jesus' heart in that version B? Would there be any support for that? Is there anywhere else that we could see that in the scripture? We might go here. Uh, John goes on with this explanatory note quoting the scripture as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water now perhaps you've wondered as i do whenever i see that i say okay where is that scripture where is it quoting from and any good bible is going to have cross references and footnotes to say here's where that quotation is from now what's interesting about this is that quotation seems to be kind of an amalgamation a mashup of two scriptures from the prophets prophet ezekiel and the prophet jeremiah don't worry you don't need to remember all of this okay it's not going to be on the text but the bottom line is that with each of those scriptures, those references, it says, out of the heart of the temple will flow rivers of living water. In other words, it has that scripture, it has that reference, but the reference doesn't say, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, but instead, out of the temple. So that's weird. Did John just forget how those references go from the Old Testament, from the, from the prophets? or is he saying something more how does jesus fit into that well maybe you remember remember this run-in that jesus had with the religious opponents of his day you remember that time when he went and he cleansed the temple right overturning the tables driving out the money changers as i like to say what would jesus do he might just go in and throw everybody out of town right that's one of the options you remember that moment And the reaction of of his opponents, of the religious leaders, they say, hey, how could you do that? Show us some sign that tells us you are worthy and uh, you have the authority to do that. And Jesus said, here's the sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. You remember that? They're like, well, it took us 46 years to build this temple. You're going to do it in three days. But what temple is he talking about? The temple of his body, John tells us. He himself. Is the temple? Jesus is the temple incarnate, you might say. And for that claim, among others, but for that claim especially, it's invoked at his sham trial. They say, the opponents say, this guy said that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. For that reason, they put our Lord Jesus on the cross. And hanging there from the cross, one of the things he says to those who are gathered around, he says, I thirst. The one who's said to be the source of living waters, who is to pour that out on all those who believed in him, now he thirsts because to give that water is costly. Christ on the cross is being wrung out like a sponge so that even after he dies, one of the soldiers takes a spear, pierces him in the side, and from his side flows blood and water. I think through all of this, John, the gospel writer, is showing us Jesus is the true headwater. He is the source of living waters, the one who cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and whoever believes in me, let him drink. As the scripture said, out of his heart, Out of the heart of our Lord Jesus will flow those rivers of living water. And they are rivers that flow into your heart and to mine that create in us a new heart that renew us. Precisely when we feel like we are utterly dried up, we have nothing left to give. Where when we look within and all we see is a barren wasteland or worse, it's just a sewage line. Blah, blah, blah. Jesus is the source of living waters. And as we come to him, that true headwater continually replenishes and refreshes, creates in you a clean new heart. Not once, but over and over and over again. He's that source of true headwaters. And that has a further implication too. Because as I said, with that translation we're so accustomed to, it gives this idea that, okay, if anybody's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And when you believe in me, oh, you're not going to thirst anymore. Got that thirsting problem taken care of. But instead, what the scripture is actually saying, what it suggests to you and me, is that no, both the, be- the believer, the one who's longing for Jesus, he thirsts and he comes to him. These aren't, so to speak, successive states. You thirst, you believe, you're good. These are simultaneous states. Thirsting and believing go hand in hand over and over and I'd say even more that to believe in Jesus doesn't dampen that thirst it deepens it it deepens the thirst the psalm said psalm 42 as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O God my soul thirsts for God for the living God that's the cry of the believer you haven't left that thirsting behind it's deepened now St. Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. What Peter is saying is that a sign of maturity, of growing in your faith, is the fact that you thirst more and more for the Lord. You are increasingly dissatisfied with the thirst quenchers that this world has to give. Gatorade may have electrolytes, but it can't reach you and touch your soul at the deepest depths of your being. Only Christ Jesus can do that. Only the living waters that flow from him, and once we have tasted that, nothing else can satisfy. It makes me think of my daughter Beatrice, when a number of years ago, when she was very small, the first time that we gave her, she doesn't remember this, the first time that we gave her strawberries, and she tasted a strawberry, and it was like this. Suddenly, the scales fell from her eyes and she realized, I live in a world where strawberries exist, right? Life would never be the same. That's how it is for you and me. That believing in Christ Jesus, now we have tasted and seen that he is good. Now that thirst deepens more and more and wonder of wonders. Not only do those living waters come to us and replenish us from the true headwater. Those waters truly do flow in you and through you, and through you. This is that both and, where the answer is yes. I realized this really only retrospect, but I discovered it a number of years back. I'm 18 years old, I've just graduated from high school, and like many kids that age, some of you here this morning, I'm starting to think, what's my life going to really amount to? Where am I going? How could I possibly make a difference in this great big world? Well, as I'm having those questions over the summer of, uh, after my senior year of high school, my uncle Eric comes out to Michigan from California. He comes and visits us, and he says, Hey, Ryan, you want to go for a road trip? Who's does love a good road trip, right? I've got, like, a part-time job, but whatever. Like, I'd just as soon join him, go on this trip across the country. So we do. We start up de- uh, in the down- Detroit area. We go up into the UP, and we grab Highway 2. Maybe some of you have done this. We take Highway 2 from the east end of the UP, and we start going. Like, how far are we going to go on this? It's like, Montana. <laughs> so we start making our way all the way across the UP and across Wisconsin, and we're going across the top of Minnesota. He's like, hey, I want to do just a little jog. I want to take you to a particular place today. Eric and I had been having these conversations about my future and vocation and what does it all mean, and does one life possibly make a difference? And he says, we're going to take a little field trip along the way. So at one point, going across northern Minnesota, we leave Highway 2, we go south a little bit to this little lake, Lake Itasca. We get to Lake Itasca, and we, we get out, we take our shoes off, because it's just, what is it, it's a, it's a little trinkle, it's no big deal, Right? So we go down and we take our shoes off and we're walking across it. You can just walk across it, right? This is Minnesota lakes. You know, Michigan, we have real lakes. (laughs) Just kidding. Throwing no shade to Minnesota. But, you know, we're just splashing around in the water a little bit. I'm like, oh, this is cool, but why'd you bring me here? He says, do you know what Lake Itasca is? I said, no, I've never heard of it before. He says, what you're standing in right now, this shallow little spot, is the headwaters of the Mississippi River. He says, what looks like a trickle right here, downstream is going to be a torrent. And later on, I would learn that the name Itasca, which sounds like it's Native American, it's actually a mashup of two Latin words, veritas caput, which means the true head, the true headwater. In this life, sometimes you and I feel like empty reservoirs, that we have only a little trickle, and it's often filled with sewage and sludge, and you can wonder, am I even a real believer? Am I just a, a fraud? Am I making any difference in this life? But Christ Jesus is the true headwater. He is the one who pours out the Spirit. And Lisa, I'll say to you specifically, As you are continuing on this journey of faith, there's going to be times where you're wondering this. Know that you have received the Holy Spirit and that God is doing and is going to do powerful things through you, things that you might never even imagine were possible. Downstream, that trickle is going to turn into a torrent for her, for each and every one of us in ways beyond our knowing. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Liesl, I invite you to stand.